morning. We'd like to give a special welcome to those who are here for homecoming and for parents weekend. Do we have junior church kids here? Junior church kids. They're supposed to come up and do a presentation, but I don't see them. They're coming, yay! Go ahead and have a seat. We have some junior kids coming up to give us an update on their fun missions that they're doing. Hi, my name is Andrea Boone, and myself, um, along with Heidi Miller and our fabulous husbands and a few of our friends, uh, we run the Junior Church Program, which is for children ages kindergarten through third grade. It actually happens during the 820 service, Um, and what we do is the kids start in the church service, and then halfway through they come to us, and we try to take the sermon messages that are being preached and actually put them in a tangible way that the children can understand. But while we do that, we also try to do projects um, with the kids so they can actually help to make some of the information that we're teaching relevant. Our theme for this year is uh, Unknown Superheroes of the Bible. We're going through some different stories that the kids might uh, not have heard before. And um, also, we're trying to find ways in which we can be superheroes for Jesus. And so, uh, two of the projects that we have going on, one, um, the kids are bringing in tithe money or loose change from around the house, and we are filling our own shoebox boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Um, the kids are going to be filling those with the money that they brought in, and we're really excited about that. But we also have this, it's called Bundle Up Buffalo Program. We started joining it. We actually joined the organization um, and started volunteering last year. Um, and what our kids do, well, they're going to tell you about it in a second, but the neat part of this program for us is that not only do our kids get to bring in and, and see the difference of what's going to be happening, but we also take a missions trip. And the kids are going to tell you about that, and the kids actually get to go and deliver the, the, the items that we bring in. So let's go ahead and let's hear from the children. We are going to help the refugees stay warm this winter. Last year, we collected over 300 winter items, and then some of us went to help hand them out to the people who needed them. I helped the little baby. I helped the adults buy the size coats to fit. We will be setting bins in the foyer and the youth room, and we will be and we'll be collecting items through October twenty. On October twenty fourth, we will be going to Buffalo to help hand out help to families who need them. Remember. We can you coats, booths, booths, scarves, blankets, gloves, mittens, hats. So if you caught that, the bins are going to be setting around the church, and we can use coats, blankets, scarves, hats, mittens. Uh, why I'm wearing mine. And um, just to remind you to bring them in. They'll be until October 20th, which is a Tuesday. But if you have stuff, bring it in as you're going through your winter gear. It's starting to get chilly. Um, and then the kids, we go up on October 24th, and we get to help hand them out. And it's a really neat experience for our children. Thank you. 
Thank you, kids. We are so excited to see the ways that they are learning to be the hands and feet, hands and feet of God in tangible ways. Please stand and join us as we continue in singing our praises to God together.
sing hallelujah, God. With saints and angels, we join in singing, worthy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of your glory, Lord. We pray that you would show us, reveal to us your glory.
The scripture reading for today comes from Acts 6, 1 through 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Take a moment, uh, share a word of greeting, welcome, introduce yourself to someone uh, here this morning as we uh, continue in worship. So the church has a problem. You're thinking to yourself, yes, I know that. Universally, the church has a problem. But I'm talking about the the early church. The church we just read about. The problem is they're too successful. Things are going too well. They have too many people coming to faith. There's so many people that are opening their hearts to Jesus that that they're having a hard time maintaining their connectivity to each other. You know how that is. The larger something gets, the more successful something gets, the the harder it is to maintain the kind of atmosphere that you started with. I don't know exactly what the first McDonald's looked like, but I'm pretty sure that first restaurant, the owner knew everyone. I would be surprised if the owner knows every employee of McDonald's now. There's a disconnect that goes with success. And the church is is, is no exception to that. And when we look into what's happening in the early church, they're having great success. More and more people are coming to Christ. Lives are being changed. The church is growing and expanding and growing and expanding. But there's a problem. When they first started out, there were a few widows who had no source of income, no way to to maintain their life, and so the disciples would share food with them. And they took care of them. But as the church grows, not only are there now more widows to care for, there's more other stuff to do as well. And what we find as we come to the sixth chapter is that some of these widows are being neglected. The church has said to them, we'll take care of you, and they're not taking care of them. And this problem is presented to the disciples. Now, you understand that the, the widows are, <clears throat> are from two different mindsets, two different cultures. They're, they're both uh, seemingly Jewish people, but they come from different parts of the world. One is from the diaspora, the, the Hellenistic world outside of Israel and Jerusalem. And so they speak Greek, whereas the people in Jerusalem speak Aramaic. 
They have a Greek mindset as opposed to a Hebrew mindset. And their, their thoughts, even about how they practice religion, is different than what we find, if they, what they find in the church in Jerusalem. And it's the people who are not from Jerusalem, the widows who are from the other parts of the world, they're the ones being neglected, intentionally or unintentionally. They're not getting the food that they need. Now, this is one of those stories that when I read it, it I, I sort of just take it for granted. That's a Bible story. I learned about it when I was probably third grade or something. You know, I grew up in the church. You may have the same experience. With a lot of Bible stories, we read them, we take them for granted. We look them over a few minutes and we move on to the next story. But one of the things I've tried to begin doing is asking, why is this story here? Because we don't get all the stories that, we could, that could be told. The Bible's a pretty small book when you consider all of the, the centuries and centuries that it, that it covers. Look at the Gospels, just a limited number of stories about Jesus. And in the book of Acts, we have a few stories about the early church. And, you, and when I read it, I, I'm always asking, why include this story and not some other story? Why tell us about widows being neglected and the church taking care of them as opposed to some other story? The theory that a lot of people purport is that this is, this is a, it's an instance in which we're discovering uh, how the church operates. That the disciples say, look, it, it, it's not right for us to, to stop preaching and teaching and praying in order to wait on tables, is how this translation has it. And you could imply by that that the disciples are saying what we're doing is really important. Taking care of the widows, not so much. So we can't give up the really important thing that we're doing in order to take care of this less important need for the widows. And in fact, I read some commentaries, highly respected people, who look at this story and say, this is an example of the enemy trying to distract the church from its mission and its calling. And I sort of agree with that, but I sort of disagree too. Because yes, the disciples need to be out preaching and teaching and telling people about Jesus, but it is not forsaking the calling of the church to care about people like widows. And in fact, I think to neglect that problem to treat it as secondary, to treat the widows as second-class citizens of the kingdom, completely undermines everything the disciples are out teaching and preaching about. How ironic if the disciples are out telling people about the compassion of Jesus while ignoring people, showing no compassion for the people who are needy right around them. I think this story is much more about the mindset of the early church. The mindset of the church that cares about people. That at the heart of the church, what does the church feel? The church feels compassion for people. And that means compassion for the spiritual needs of people and compassion for the physical needs of people. It's interesting to me that when the disciples go to solve this problem, they don't just say, you know what, that really isn't all that important. Anybody could do that. Just go find anybody you can, tell them to feed the widows, and get, it, get them off our backs. That's not at all what they do. They say to the church, look, this is a, this is a problem we need to think seriously about. And the solution to this is to find the most godly people possible to take care of this issue. It's not a distraction to the disciples. It's not a second, it's not dealing with people who are second class in the kingdom. These are people that are so important to the church that finding the solution requires the most spiritual people possible. And isn't it ironic that in chapter 7, Stephen preaches this sermon Stephen, one of the seven chosen to, to take care of the problem with the widows. Stephen preaches this eloquent sermon, is the first martyr of the church. Sometimes we think 
that the, the 12, the disciples, as they're called here, the, the ones who follow Jesus most closely, that they're the really spiritual people. And the seven that, feed, work, that take care of the widows, well, they're, they're, they're spiritual, but just not as spiritual. Not at all. Clearly describes the, the, the seven as deeply spiritual people. That's why they're chosen. It's that important. And so often we forget that the calling of the church is about everything that's a part of people's lives. We either care about people or we don't. And that means we care about every burden, every need, everything that's going on in people's lives. Their spiritual needs physical needs, emotional, mental. We feel compassion for them as people. Not as projects. Not as something to fulfill our agenda. But because they're valued, loved people of God. We care about them. We care about each other. When we talk about showing compassion, you know, it's easy Easier, maybe, to show compassion for people who are like us. You know, people who think like we do. People who are easy for us to connect with. People who get our lingo, our language. People who will be appreciative of what we do for them, right? I mean, we're always thinking about that. And, and people who are unappreciative of what we do, what's our response? Maybe it won't help them again. And here we have these widows, some like the seven, some not like the seven. Some like the twelve, some not like the twelve. Some, some like the people of Jerusalem, some not. Some who are easy to connect with, some that are difficult to connect with. It doesn't really matter. They're all important. And if we are people of compassion, we step beyond what's easy and comfortable and natural. We put ourselves in situations where we are wondering, how in the world am I going to talk with this person? We have nothing in common. But we make the effort anyway. We think about people who are on the margins of society. I mean... There, there is hardly anyone more marginalized in first century Palestine than widows. There was no social security. There was no pension. There were no things like that. Somebody had to help them. Somebody had to care for them. They're on the margins. Easily missed. Easily pushed aside. But the church refuses to live that way. Church targets people who are on the margins, who are disenfranchised, who are by society and culture treated as second class. Who are those people in our society? It probably depends on who we are, where we come from, and what's, what we think about. But it's certainly, I mean, it's still widows. Maybe it's people who are uh, in this country and um, have the right paperwork and maybe the people who don't have the right paperwork. We were talking this morning, the, the children, about Bundle Up Buffalo and it's all about refugees. People who, had to, who have had to escape difficult situations in their homeland and have come to America. Everything brand new. Everything different. Different language, different culture, different way of seeing things. I think sometimes about people who are um, who are in the upper echelons, maybe uh, of the age bracket of our society. You know, we live in a world in which technology is so vital to everything that we do. If you didn't grow up with technology, it's intimidating. Not to mention frustrating. It's frustrating to us who did grow up with somewhat with technology. And everything is, you should know this. You get that. Things aren't done the same way they used to be done. We used to do them. We step in and we help people. 
doesn't matter who they are. They have a need. We want to help them. And granted, we can't meet every need. Jesus doesn't meet every need. But Jesus is sensitive about the people who are right in front of him. Jesus is sensitive and, and feels compassion. When Matthew 9 tells us, when he looks at the crowd, he sees that they're helpless and they're lost, like sheep without a shepherd. And he feels compassion for them. His heart, his gut is wrenched for them. Jesus goes to the people that a lot of society and a lot of the religious folk ignore. And he feels compassion for them. Loves them, cares for them. Meets their need right where they are. That's what it means to to be the church. I think one of the ways in which the church can be uh, a presence of compassion in our world is to be advocates for people who have no voice. I'm not a, I'm not a huge proponent of the church getting involved in politics. I, I think that usually backfires on us. It usually ends up becoming a grab for power. But if we're going to be involved in politics, one of the things that I think we should be doing is being a voice, an advocate for people who do not have a voice. People in this society, in our culture, in our world, who are vulnerable, most vulnerable. We should be a voice for them. Helping them, protecting them, caring for them, speaking up for them. You'll notice that this whole thing starts not because the widows come to the disciples and say, hey, we're being neglected. But some of the believers go to the disciples and say, there are some widows being neglected. Someone, some of the people became advocates for those widows. And it triggered this whole thing. And I suspect that most of us could be advocates for people who don't have the resources. We forget how, how vulnerable it feels when you're ill or when you don't understand things or when you feel overwhelmed with life. And we need to be a voice for people like that. So often the church is accused of just being self-absorbed. Everything we do is just about us. Everything we do is just, is just in, to internally run our machinery. And, and there's a point where we have to do that. That's just true of any organization. But hopefully, that's not the primary reason we exist. Hopefully, the primary reason we exist is not just to keep our machinery going. Hopefully, the primary reason we exist is to be a presence in the world, to be a presence for Christ. The people look at the church, and one of the first things they think of is those people are more compassionate than anybody else. We don't always have the best track record of that. And I know it's a struggle. I struggle with it. I I want to, to be... I want to just have my own life and I, and I don't want to sacrifice and I don't, I don't want to go beyond my comfort zone. But it's what being a follower of Jesus is about. I mean, this is really not something I would lay a guilt trip on you and say, oh, it's another thing I'm not doing right. What we're really talking about is this the heart of God. This is who God is. You know, I said last week that, that God... Being generous, generosity is who God is. It's his nature, it's his character. And he cannot not be generous. And I think the same thing is true of compassion. God is compassionate. It's who he is. He cannot not be compassionate. It is the nature of his being. And that's why he's so concerned about it. That's why we read, when we go to the Old Testament, we read passages like these. In Exodus... God says, you must not exploit a widow or an orphan. If you do, my anger will blaze against you. Leviticus, don't take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. I'm the Lord your God. Malachi, I'll speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice, for you don't, you don't fear me. Isaiah, this is the kind of fasting I want. 
Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Don't hide from relatives who need your help. Modern translations, they get you every time. I'm pretty sure the King James does not say that. Maybe relatives are the people that you have the hardest time showing compassion toward. Whoever is in front of us, whoever God brings into our lives, those are the people that we have feel compassion for. And it's not so much a choice we make as it is God in us. It's exhibiting the character of who God is. I keep coming back to Nowen's wonderful book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. And, and he talked in this book, uh, the first couple of sections are about how we are like the two sons of the father, wandering and, and being legalistic and angry, and, and we struggle with that, and the father wants to help us and call us back into him, and that's an important thing for us to understand. But now and then goes on to say, but the real point of the parable is not that we are the sons who God redeems, The whole point is, we are redeemed in order to be like the Father to other people. And he says, that's not just a part of the gospel. That is the gospel. The gospel is that God works in our lives to make us like him. And that means we're people of compassion. Because we're filled with the Spirit and because we bear the image of God, our Creator, who not only describes Himself as compassionate, but who acts in compassionate ways. Compassion is one of those things, you can't just think about it. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to feel compassion. Compassion is something you do. I've added around what the title of this sermon should be, what the question should be. Is it, what does the church feel, or what does the church do? It's really both. It starts with the feeling inside of us. It starts with with the spirit working in us and, and having compassion for people, but it always moves toward action. You know, as James says, it's wonderful you have all this faith, but if you don't do anything with it, what's the point? Isn't it interesting that to solve this problem, the church finds people who look the most like Jesus? And if you and I are going to be the church, we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ in this world, we want to look like Jesus. We want to look like the Father. And that means compassion is a part of who we are, it's part of our DNA. And it doesn't matter who the people are. It doesn't matter whether they're like us or they're not, whether they have issues that that we really want to get involved in or we'd really rather run from. If they're in front of us, then we want to be compassionate and sacrifice and give of ourselves because... God has done that for us. And we're simply acting like the Father who has been so gracious and compassionate to you and me. Fred Craddock was one of my favorite preachers. He died a year or so ago. But he's he's the kind of preacher that I, I would walk through a blinding rainstorm miles to hear him preach. You know, he he... I'd never miss the opportunity to listen to one of his sermons and to hear him speak. And I was reading a book. Uh, he loved. He was a great storyteller. And, and he, he told a story about when he was in college in the 50s. Rear Admiral Thornton Miller came to visit their campus. Admiral Miller was at that time the highest ranking chaplain in the entire military. And, and he came and he spoke in chapel and they had a chance to visit with him afterwards. And that evening, he went to the guy's dorm and he, and he spoke, talked to them more. 
And that evening, he began to tell them about some of his experiences, which included being a part of the D-Day invasion in Normandy. He said it was, as you can imagine, one of the most horrific things you could ever experience. He said all through that day, he he was going up and down the beach, taking the hands of soldiers, praying with them. Taking the hands of another soldier and praying with them. Another hand praying with them. All day, up and down the beach. And one, of the, one of the students said to him, Sir, you mean you were walked up and down that beach all day with bullets and, and bombs and, and mortars flying and all of that? And he said, Why? It's because I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus. And, and the guy said, but yeah, but you don't understand my question. My, but, I mean, didn't, didn't you stop and ask them, are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? Are you Jewish? I mean, just everybody? And, and Craddock said, Admiral Miller straightened his stance, and he said to those guys, now get this. If you're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's only one question you ask. Can I help you? Can I help you? And as the church of Jesus Christ, people who've been blessed and continue to be blessed by our compassionate Father, there's really only one question we're asking. Can I help you? Can I be the compassionate, loving presence of God in your life. It's the call of the church. And my prayer is that, my hope is that that will so get into us, so under our skin, become so much a part of who we are, that every morning when we get up, maybe even before we get out of bed, the first thing we pray is, Father, give me a heart of compassion for whoever comes in my path today. Help me to see them just as they are. Help me to think about them the way you think about them. And help me to do for them whatever you want me to do for them, whatever they need. Help my question today to simply be, can I help you? I want to challenge you as I'm challenging myself to make that the first prayer every day. And then maybe we'll see as the church what they saw as the church that people come to Christ. And the church grows. And even the most unlikely people like priests in Jerusalem say, I can't get past the fact that these people are not just talking about compassion, they're doing it. And I want to know more about that. Gracious Father, thank you for being so compassionate with us our minds and our hearts with your grace. Father, this morning we pray not only for ourselves, but for the burdens and the needs of our community, our church, our wider communities. Lord, we think about people who are grieving. We think about people who are struggling with illness and pain We ask that you would touch them, heal them, comfort them. We think about this world in which we live. Lord, this week we've been reminded so vividly of the violence in our world. We pray for the people who are grieving and recovering, trying to, from the shooting in Oregon. Lord, bring peace to our land. Help us as the church to be a catalyst to help people who feel 
so disconnected from you and from others that they choose violence. Father, we pray for our world. Think of people who are dealing with natural disasters, the landslide in Guatemala, hurricanes, typhoons, flooding. Lord, our hearts are broken about the needs of the world. We pray that you will bring peace and healing and may your church be a presence for good in this world. We pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution. Pour out your spirit upon them of of courage and strength and, and your grace of protection. Father, thank you for all the ways you're involved in our lives. May we sense your spirit leading us, guiding us, helping us as we walk with you in the spirit of Christ. In his name we pray. We have an opportunity now to give back to our compassionate God through our tithes and offerings. Shine. 
There is an everlasting kindness you lavished on us. When the radiance of heaven came to rescue the lost, you called the sheep without a shepherd to leave their distress. For your streams of forgiveness and the shade of For the hurting, you reached out your hands as the lame ran to meet you and the dead breathed again. You saw behind the eyes of sorrow and shared in our tears. Heard the sigh of the weary and the children draw Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. 